Steve Tapper clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. Good day, everyone, and welcome to, well, it's kind of a little early, but it's a 2023 episode of College Volleyball Weekly. We've got the new look crew on board, but before we say hi to our old and busted guys, let's say hi to the new guys. That's uh, Brad Rothschatter, first-year coach at UC San Diego, Theo Edwards, CSUN, Cal State Northridge, if you're not familiar with that, or the old school San Fernando State College is what it used to be back in the day. So, hey, gentlemen, all of you, thank you, and uh, thanks for taking time to your winter break and training to jump on to College Volleyball Weekly for a semi-previous episode. Rob, are you painting your studio? What's going on, buddy? Do you know what I mean? What's up with the backdrop right now? Do you know what I mean? Well, the uh, the Newport Studios uh, is kind of a mess because I had to use it as gift storage or hiding from the kids. So uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I've got to throw nice. the backdrop in. Right, Sounds good. I thought you were going all Jackson Pollock on us. It looked a little crazy. <laughs> well, hey, you know, got to ask the new coaches, though. You've been in a few months into the position. What's it been like, you know, in like 25 words or less? We'll start with you, Theo. Sure. Um, I would say it's been interesting. Um, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, especially the last month. Um, you know, obviously, uh, congratulating Jeff Campbell on a fantastic career and um, you know, the things that he accomplished here and where he's placed our program for the future is pretty exciting. Um, and then, you know, for myself, just taking things to a different place, um, coming up with a vision and figuring out what my goals were and figuring out what the team's goals are and, and uh, you know, trying to uh, try to make something that happened that's special. Yep. How about you, Brad, jumping from OC straight in the middle from Costa Mesa all the way down to San Diego. That's a tough drive. Yeah, it was a tough uh, hour drive down the five, but it's been unreal. And it's been paired with me getting married and lots of other good things going on in my life as well. So the exciting fact that I get to move my wife down to San Diego, where actually yesterday was moving day for us. So we had a busy day getting the U-Haul all packed up. And then getting with the guys has been so awesome. Just a great group of guys. They're eager to get in the gym, eager to train, eager to get back this spring. Um, and we just couldn't be more stoked to start getting after it. Awesome. Well, I was going to say, have the old guys give you guys two bits of wisdom. We have a surprise guest coming on board here. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. oh. The older crew of College Volleyball Weekly happened to be in Southern California, messaged me late last night. And, uh, you know, what's he do? He leaves men's volleyball. You leave men volleyball to get a national championship, the player of the year, and all these accolades. Like, hey guys, suck it. I got a natty. Whoa, How about you I guys? didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> Dave, I just hi. had to I had to come on to make sure that you guys were doing all right. And you know, you guys could still figure out the recording and now Brad and Theo are joining. It took two people to replace one person. That's crazy. <laughs> Well, we thought you were gonna make an announcement and said you're with all the openings on the men's side at one point that you're gonna come back in or something. <laughs> I left I left now. I'm coming back. Yeah. New program starting up D3. Here I come. <laughs> well, that is David Hunt, associate head coach of University of Texas at 2022 national champions on the women's side. We knew you missed the men's side that much. So uh thanks for coming back on. And what are you doing in Anaheim? 
Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. I don't want to go to NCAA oh. jail, so I'm just hanging out, you know? <laughs> oh, you're going to Disneyland. I'll do some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Celebrating, going to Disneyland, hanging out, and yeah, touring around the country. Now that it's super weird being around Christmas time and being like, oh, damn, like, we're not prepping for practice. We're not, you know, we're not going on December 31st. So I'm excited to watch all you guys. <laughs> well, with all the older coaches, more experience, I mean, uh, what words of wisdom would you have for Brad and Theo? I'm going to save Jay for last because he's going to stir that volley talk stick real fast. So I'm going to start off with uh, Dan. <laughs> words of wisdom. Well, both of you guys are grinders, so you don't have to worry about that. So uh, be patient. That would be my word of wisdom. So I think lots coming at you. Things are going to be new. It doesn't matter whether you've been coaching or not. So I just think be patient with some things and don't overreact too fast on anything administrative, player-wise, any of that stuff. So how about you, Dave? Ooh. Uh, yeah, Brad, you don't need any of my advice. You already got to figure it out, so you're doing a good job. And, and Theo, you've been doing a great job at, at Northridge for a long time there. So I know you've been carrying a big load and um, obviously the administration feels real confident in the, the work that you're doing. Cause yeah, right away, they just said Theo's our guy, which was cool to see. So, um, yeah, you don't need any of my advice. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell them to up on more Pella commercials. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell them to go to the women's side to go get a national championship. I thought that's what you were going to do. Yeah, that worked out well. So yeah, go find a place that has a lot of talent. And get them to offer you a job, and the, yeah, that's good. <laughs> hey, Rob, Dave's still young himself. Do you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. What is he like? Thirty still himself? You know, in terms. Yeah, of I think I'm going to get the thirty under thirty award for the nineteenth uh, time. So I'm really, really <laughs> kiss of death. Nice. Uh, <laughs> all right, Jay. I know you'll knock it out of the park. Not that these guys haven't already, but. First of all, we all know why Dave is back down in Southern California. He is working on his handicap. I heard he got down to a three. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. I heard from uh, one of our fellow golfers that joins us uh, when we go out recruiting. Uh, but first of all, congratulations, Dave. I know that was a huge accomplishment and super stoked for you. Um, and I know we're all rooting for you in the years to come. Um, I, listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I agree with Dan and, and Dave. They're, they're, it's not like Brad has never been a head coach before. He's he obviously was at Vanguard. He knows what he's doing. He he kind of understands already the ins and outs of what, what to expect. I think he's just got to learn to adjust to the rough and rugged streets of La Jolla. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a gangland down there. You better watch out, keep your doors locked, um, you know, hide the Porsche inside the, inside the garage. Don't leave it out in the, in the driveway. And then Theo, I mean, listen, Theo, we all know in the last number of years, Theo was being groomed for that position. At least we all hope so. Uh, and I worked with Theo over the years at, at various USA events and camps. He's a grinder, just like Dave said. These guys both know what they're doing. If if I were to give you any word of advice, any serious word of advice, let your assistant coaches spread their wings and do what they do. Because one day you were at that position uh, and, and it's really cool to see that natural progression move up the ladder. And, and, and now you get a chance to be that mentor. So, but that's, again, that's nothing that they don't already know. They're both going to rock it. And I'm super stoked for both of them. Excellent words of wisdom from the old uh, guys. guys. Like it. Hey, uh, with that, let's jump into our first segment, <clears throat> which is new coaches. What the heck happened last year in D1, D2? I mean, when I went through the list, you got Pepperdine with Winder, Loyola with Hawks, Long Island University with Kai Dukem, Matt McManaway at North Greenville, Brad at UC San Diego, Theo 
over at CSUN and Adam Nibsinowitz over at Sacred Heart. What's this this trend happening here in men's volleyball, guys? We'll start with, uh, let's go with uh, Brad in this one first. Yeah, I mean, it's just been a weird time. And um, especially like looking in California, you know, with the not too many jobs really ever opening up in the past to, to have two jobs open up or three jobs open up um, within one kind of mid-year timeline is really foreign and really new. So not too sure what the result is of it, but um, I know Theo and I are excited about it. Winder's excited about it and it's going to be really good for, for men's volleyball. Yep. How about you, Dan? Well, I think you had a couple of retirements, um, you know, so, and then you had a couple of unique situations uh, I would say. And then I also think the other two situations are, a little bit of this effect where you're seeing some ADs like, hey, are programs winning or not? Or are those ADs going to look at men's volleyball a little bit? Before, I think men's volleyball just got pushed to the side uh, and they weren't paying attention to it, didn't care if you won or lost because everything was, your culture was good. And so we ultimately, I think a couple programs may have had a different outlook now. And does that mean ADs are going to put a little bit more weight on other programs out there in terms of win losses or culture? I do think there's two things. I think if your culture is good and you're playing okay, maybe not winning all the time, I think you're in a good spot. But if I think your culture is bad, you're going to have some issues, win or lose. You know what I mean? And you're seeing that not only on maybe some men's programs, but certainly on the women's side across the board in terms of that. So, so I think that's maybe a, a little bit of that effect in terms of that. But I'm just happy. One of the concerns we have is we have all these new programs popping up. And are there going to be enough good coaches to fill them? And so I think a lot of these places got some really talented coaches that are stepping into those roles and, you know, a couple of them first time head coaches, which is really good for the men's game in that sense. And that's uh, one of the things that I think we'll continue to have some concerns about is just having some of those qualified coaches be able to step into those roles. So, yep. Let's go over to Jay. I, I'm going to piggyback on that. I agree with Dan. I think you're going to see in the next three to five years, if some big name programs start to uh, become first time programs, and I'm just, I'm not saying these are the ones. I'm just using them because they're the easiest to think about. If Texas. Michigan, if Oregon, if Texas, if Nebraska, if they were to start men's programs, you're going to see a lot more shifting starting to happen. You're going to see a lot more of the traditional programs where coaches maybe have been there for a while um, and maybe have gotten stagnant. All of a sudden, they're going to start jumping. And what they're going to probably do is bring their staff with them, which is what a lot of programs do on the women's side. Uh, because they're comfortable and they know how to work hard, well together. And so, you know, you start to see that happen. I think you're going to start to see a lot more shifting going on. There's, listen, when when Dan and I got started in, in, in the game coaching years ago, there, there were no programs available. I mean, listen, I know Dan's worthy of any big name program, but, you know, he got onto the side with Lewis, found a place that he loved, a place that he could be successful, and he luckily stayed there. But that doesn't mean that Dan didn't have opportunities. We, we growing up never had anything. There was, nobody was leaving. When somebody retired, it was like, oh my God, the one program where this guy left and all of a sudden it was a little hole balloon. It was gone again because nobody goes anywhere. Everybody just stayed on the, on the men's side. But now you're starting to see men jump over to the women's side like Dave did and, be, and have success early. And you're going to start to see some big time programs. I think start to start programs for the first time. And you'll see a little bit more shift. How about you, Theo? Yeah, I mean, I think these guys hit a lot of it on the head. Um, and, and just given the fact that men's volleyball is, you know, 
started as such a small sport and has really exploded of late. Uh, you have a lot of coaches that have been at programs for a really, really long time. And I think that you're starting to see some of those retirements and starting to see some of those positions change. But kind of, you know, to the point that Jay made, you know, a lot of programs have really been fortunate enough to really gather coaches like a Dan Friend at Lewis University who is absolutely killed it and would absolutely crush it at a bigger name school um, if given the opportunity. But he's loved what he's done and stayed where he's at. And, you know, obviously you start to see coaches like David Hunt where great coach who has done a tremendous job and now is going to seek a, a women's side type of program and, and uh, probably a bigger paycheck and, and more money and deservingly so. Right. And I think that the men's game really has not been a, that really hasn't been the case, right. Money hasn't been a, a big factor. And I think that, uh, you know, in the years to come, as Jay was talking about, we see some of these bigger programs start to form men's volleyball teams we might start to see money being a, a bigger factor in a lot of these coaches decisions be curious uh dave i wanted to have you go last and see you jump to the women's side but you know also speaking about gameplay as well because there there's a difference in style at least from what most of us can gather if there is unless you're coaching the same things but that's why i'm saving you for the last uh uh addition here yeah you want me to chat about the the coaching stuff, I, the smart ass answer was going to be those coaches are getting old and retiring. So that was so my first response. And then I looked over at, at Dan and Jay. And, you know, ooh, you know, Theo and Brad look real young compared to you guys. But um, no, I mean, what people don't realize is just the quality of, of people that you have coaching men's volleyball, right? So when we're talking about culture and and really it's just the development of the student athlete and the holistic approach that, that those coaches take. Um, so yeah, they were sticking around a long time because who wouldn't want a coach in their athletic department that's doing all those things. Uh, now I think you're seeing some of those coaches retire. You're seeing some programs add, seeing some movement a little bit, but then you're also going to see NCAA volleyball or NCAA sport uh, change here pretty quick over the next five years. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't think any of us know what that looks like, but it's going to change from what we know of it for sure. So I think that'll cause some movement and people have to make decisions for, for their own reasons. So you'll see some movement there. Yeah. Well, the next question that I was hoping we could all jump into is we had some movement in the different conferences, as you've said, and growth as well. We have Queens University and the MIVA. You've got the formation of the NEC of the Northeast Conference uh, with St. Francis, SFC Brooklyn, and Sacred Heart, and St. Francis University jumping into that conference. Um, what does that mean for the EIVA and across D12 volleyball? Of 12 volleyball, yeah. And we'll start with Jay first. Well, we we uh I won't comment much on the Queens thing other than we we were talking about it. Uh it didn't make sense for a couple of the programs. Uh and so we we kind of passed on that and the Meva jumped on it. Good for the Meva. You know, they they Queens is going to be a very good program in the coming years. They just went D1. Um, and you know, Jeremy's doing some nice things down there. So, uh, it, it made sense for them and good for them. The, the NEC conference starting up, uh, was a big deal. Uh, and we, we knew once, uh, that there was four teams that were there that were ready to jump, that there were going to be some others that stepped on board and Merrimack and, uh, Long Island, a couple others all said, Hey, this is a great opportunity. And they picked up Damon. Uh, and, uh, and AIC, I believe is looking at joining the, um, uh, either us or the, 
the NEC. So there's some programs that are making some noises. Um, and all it really does, to be honest with you, is it expands the, the NCAA tournament for the future. It forces the hand of the NCAA to expand it. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, and we've had this discussion in years past. I, I still think it should be 16. It doesn't mean it's jumping to that number, but it definitely forces the NCAA a little bit to rethink, you know, how many it can expand to because there's a certain percentage that they have to have as an at-large. So when you keep adding conferences, it keeps expanding that number naturally. Whether or not it gets to 16 is the first number, we don't know. I know Dan probably will touch upon this. In March, we have, there's a committee vote, uh, at least they're discussing it. And whether or not uh, he expands or not further than that part, we'll, we'll let him decide. But it's exciting. And Dave's right. We don't know what's going to look like. In five years, it could be completely different. We could all be out of the game in five years. Who knows? Uh, wow. I, I, think it, uh, I think we're safe for right now. All right. Let's jump to Theo. Anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, without knowing too much about about some of those moves, I just think the expansion and the growth of the game is fantastic. Right. And I think as, as we start to see more of like an NEC forming and, um, you know, the potential of what would could potentially happen with UCLA and USC and Ohio State and Penn State, um, I think the larger some of these other conferences get, the better. Right. So that we have the ability for potential breakoffs and, and more programs to be able to branch off and, and, uh, and add and continue to grow the NCAA tournament. All right. Let's go to uh, Dave here, being that he's a, uh, now he's an outside looking in type of a uh, perspective. Yeah. I was just, I was looking at Theo's refrigerator. Theo, how many vitamin waters you got back there? You guys are talking about that? That is, is that for your team or is that just for you? You know what's funny? I actually keep all of that in here so that my guys will come in here and see me. Like it gives them an incentive. I've got a drawer that you can't see just full of snacks and it gives them incentive to come in, stop by, <laughs> say hello. And, and uh, yeah, I, I use food as a tool, man. All right. <laughs> so do we, so do we. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys all just hit on it. Uh, forced expansion is, is the best thing, right? So it means that there's programs and then it seems like it might be able to, to push one or two teams that is, or schools that are thinking about adding of all of a sudden now we're going to join a conference and we get a chance to, to have a shot in an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. It seems like a good deal. So I think that's the biggest, biggest piece. All right. Let's jump to Brad. Yeah, it's huge for men's volleyball and it's really nice for those schools when you you're part of a conference where it's a lot easier on your scheduling. You know the teams you're going to be playing year in, year out. And also for teams trying to schedule you, now they know that you're going to be a part of a conference. You're going to be playing for the postseason conference championship, you know, and looking forward, hopefully playing for an NCAA tournament bid by getting an automatic qualification from that conference. And it adds a ton of value into being added into that schedule. Yep. Let's close out with Dan because he has a little inside look here in the AVCA and you know, does a bunch of stuff at the NCAA as well. So, and we know he's got some deep wisdom he's going to knock us out with here. Okay. Well, uh, outside of what Jay talked about with the NEC. So, I mean, currently the MEVA added Queens. It was a smart move by them. I think initially the reason they added it was uh, Lindenwood was part of the GLVC as well. Uh, so there was the, the traction that GLVC was going to start men's volleyball, which I still think they are um, as a conference sport. Uh, so, but I do think... Miva adding Queens, Lindenwood went D1, 
solidifies them even with six teams, no matter what happens to Quincy, McKendry, and Lewis in terms of that, uh, which was one of the things uh, just as a, a league that wanted to happen in terms of that. I don't know if it's an ideal travel partner, but it is ironic that Jeremy is at Queens and Jeremy was at Grand Canyon when Grand Canyon jumped into the Miva as well. But So that's just a, a kind of funny with that. But And then with the GLBC, <laughs> Rockhurst uh, added men's volleyball, which is great for the league. It gives them another member, and currently there would be six teams. Uh, the hang-up certainly for us and McKendry and even Quincy is that uh, none of us want to sit – two years out of uh, an AQ doing to me in terms of the tournament. Cause right now, currently with the NCAA, you have a two year waiting period, which St. Francis is going through with the NEC. And uh, I, I'm really, really against that. And so as well as I've told my president, my AD and they're supportive of that. And so, but there are some affiliate programs in Thomas Moore and Robert Morris who are going into the GLIAC, which is another division two conference, which, possibly could fill that void. So there's some movement there, but nothing concrete. And that's all I can kind of give you with that. Uh, do I think the GLBC is eventually going to add? Yes. Do I know that we're going to be part of it for sure? Uh, no. You know what I mean? And so I think there's some pieces there that have, have to get moving a little bit uh, in terms of that. And so, uh, and then the impact, these guys all touch base. Growth is growth, which is good. And uh, as a lot of us have been part of the sport for a long time, I think we're headed in a great direction. It may sometimes feel like a a snail's pace, but there's been more movement in the past 10 years than there was the previous 30 years. And so uh, I think we're certainly giving boys more opportunities. And that's not just at the college level, it's the high school level. And so I think the tough part is we can't get, keep up with the demand. That's why the rosters are also loaded between 18 and 30 guys. You know what I mean? It's like all these guys want to go play. And even with the addition of the D3s, you saw five or six years ago, you saw all the D3s add. So all the rosters went down a little bit. Now there's more boys playing. So you can't, you're filling the D3s up and NAI, NAI's got almost 55, 60 programs. And so it's just, you know, you can't keep up with the demand in terms of that. And then I can go into the tournament. I think Jay touched base on it, but I mean, most mostly in concept, it's been approved. Now we're waiting on the budget committee. Uh, so basically, you know, a 12 team tournament, four regions, three teams at each spot. The winner of each of those goes to the final four. It'd be a two weekend tournament. Uh, it'd be really great. Uh, we know we need the expansion, so but now it's got to go to budget. And but there's that fear too, where it could sit in the budget committee for a two, three year cycle, like the women's beach did. Uh, and so hopefully between some administrators and some different schools, that uh, we'll get it on the docket sooner, and that'll get passed, and uh, that'll help the expansion and growth in terms of where we're headed, which just breeds more uh, programs possibly looking at. It. So I know I think that's everything. Anything I'm missing? See, there you go. Dan wow. knocks it out of the park on the, the final answer here. But so with what you're saying, the two-year wedding period, that means SIAC is up next in 2024 with an auto. Yeah, so basically that conversation happens with the championship committee. That It's already been in the hopper that goes to the championship committee this summer because that's when their two years will be up in terms of a waiting period. Uh, so you would be, no matter whether the bracket expands or not, they're going to get added next year. So you could see them do like, an eight team pigtail type. It's just our championship committee has got to get super creative then. So hopefully they don't have to do that. Hopefully it does get approved uh, because then they get to get a little bit more creative with how the bracket looks. So those remember awesome. it's a, it's a technically a four team bracket. The other spots don't actually exist or play in games. Uh, <laughs> just so you understand that. So <laughs> the, the challenge with that too is when you have seven or eight teams, if it does, if the SIAC does get it, when you have seven or eight teams and they're all played at the host site for the final four, 
that becomes a little costly. Uh, and there's a lot more challenges with having to expand that bracket. If people don't remember, we were supposed to host in 2020, and that was still, I think the final four teams were still the only teams that went to the final site. And now we're in 2023, and when they all came, when the NCAA committee came and did a walkthrough to make sure everything was ready to go, our facilities people were a little caught off guard because they're like, wait a minute, you need Sunday as well, and you need Saturday for practice time, and now you need a Tuesday. They weren't they weren't aware of the expansion that all those teams now come to the Final Four site. So that was that's something that they've got to contend with. And I know the NCAA, you know, is not too keen on just spending money to spend money. So they're going to have to rethink some things. Well, they got the Hostick estate where we can all camp on. So that'll work out perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Esparrow at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter.